in front of me, Ahim, were thousands of women, thousands of women eagerly awaiting what I had to say. Mm-hmm. It was an extraordinary moment. I was absolutely speechless, but we had a PR agency and I remember being being prodded, sort of elbowed to say, say something, say something. And I started speaking. I don't know what I said. <laughs> I don't know if I recited, <laughs> if I recited the corporate messaging about why you need to get out there and you know and and be healthy. But I know that they cheered and they clapped and they. It was such an immense wave of of support and love that my voice was actually provoking that reaction in them. It was a moment when I said, darn, this is, this is a pretty good gig. I, I like this. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. Welcome, Rosemary Ravenal. Rosemary is a seasoned public relations pro. She brings more than three decades of experience as a communications expert at the highest levels of the U.S. mainstream, Hispanic, and Latin American markets. Rosemary was an on-air talent with MSNBC and is the past president of the Hispanic Public Relations Association. She most recently served as the VP of Public Relations for Univision before starting her own communications training firm, simply called Rosemary Ravenal. Rosemary started this firm at a time in her life when many other people choose to retire. And that's a conversation I very much want to have with you. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you, Ahim. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to have you. I like to start every conversation with a question where we go back to childhood because our our dreams and aspirations as children... uh, Sometimes they're like a flight of fancy and sometimes they come true. So when you go back to younger Rosemary, did you have a role model? Did you know who you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, I wish I had a quick answer, Akeem, because I grew up as a very lonely little girl uh, Mm -hmm. in a traumatic series of changes, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about my being in exile from Cuba when I was eight years old, but the circumstances surrounding that really shaped me. So I really didn't because I didn't grow up in my native culture long enough to establish those role models. I grew up in a mostly uh, Anglo, that is non-Hispanic environment. And, And so I gravitated to those role models that were part of maybe the circle of a small circle of, of young friends I had and some of my teachers. And I'll, I'll tell you that I learned English from Nancy Drew books, the Nancy Drew. <laughs> yes. And if I were to say, looking back at my life when I was 10, 12 years old, I really wanted to be a sleuth, a problem solver, a 
a, a, a multi-talented thinker who just found those clues and those hidden treasures that just helped make everybody's lives better. And that was such a powerful example. And I wanted to be a Nancy Drew. And, you know, much later in life, Ahim, I found out in looking back at, well, who actually was the author of, of, of the Nancy yeah. Drew. And then in fact, there were all these ghost writers and they were paid a pittance, but that women as prominent as uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Sonia Sotomayor had the same association with the Nancy Drew character. So I feel that I wasn't really on a bad track back then. And it's it's interesting because that was how I learned English. And at the same time, I became really identified with uh, this character. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. And as you describe the qualities of Nancy Drew, and, and I have to confess to our listeners, I, I know you socially, Rosemary, so you're not a stranger. I immediately thought, well, that actually describes the Rosemary Ravenel I know. Not a literal sleuth, but the qualities of how you serve people, which is kind of cool. Since you alluded to, to coming from Cuba as a, as a young girl, you know, and I, I have a similar bicultural background as a German boy who left Germany when he was uh, six years old, who grew up in Portugal and other countries. Because you're in the business now of help helping your clients have, I'd say, the most amplified personal voice they can have, how did you, as a young girl, <laughs> figure out how to have Rosemary's voice? Was that possible? I heard about assimilating into Anglo culture. What do you remember from just that journey coming from one place to another and fitting in? Sure. It's interesting because public speaking has been with me all my life, although speaking was extraordinarily difficult for me when I was a child. Mm -hmm. I spent several years in Catholic boarding school, and the the nuns were very, uh, should I say, <laughs> very disciplinarian and, and rather uh, heavy-handed. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in fear of, of, of these authority figures. And I was the only child uh, who did not speak English. And this lasted for quite some time. It was my first time away from home. I developed really tremendous emotional uh, problems. Uh, I, and it was never diagnosed until I was in my 20s that I developed really a, a severe trauma that led to depression. But the, it manifested mostly in stuttering, in stammering. Mm. I developed a terrible stammer in Spanish. And then when I started to speak English, it was a struggle to speak it without stammering. I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of my friends. We're talking elementary school. But I remember clearly 
I must have been 10 years old and I was in the line at, at the boarding school waiting in line to go into the cafeteria. And I told a joke, told a joke in English. Mm. And the girls around me laughed. It was such a moment of sunshine. It was as if the skies had opened and and these 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 that you know the 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 there was this heaven that just awaited. Ah, they understood me and they laughed. What a marvelous thing. And it was such a seminal moment that when I think back, I, I savor it and I say, well, maybe that was really a premonition, sort of a, a calling that I would become a, a public communicator and public speaker. And you remind me of how, how powerful the use of language is and can be and how um, it can accelerate our careers. And if we don't use it well, it can also be a, um, a blocker, you know. You've had this very illustrious career for over three decades with major companies and, and you're much too modest to name drop. So I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> so some of your clients are the HBO Latin America, the Latin Grammys, Goya, Sony Ericsson, Revlon, Toyota. And this is just the beginning of the list. So the list is endless and you've done very cool work in the public relations space for brands that we all know. I know that when we peel back and look what happens behind the scenes, there probably were moments when you go, gosh, I just love doing this. This is why I'm doing it. Or there probably also were moments of complete insanity where you went, why the heck? And could you just give us a glimpse? Because I want to get us to what you're doing today, but this is the framework that got you to where you are today. So yes. what are some moments that stand out? You know, I actually wanted to be a broadcast journalist. That's what I studied. Mm -hmm. But public relations called because it was a great way to make money. I'm talking early 1980s in New York City. Mm -hmm. I wanted in the worst way to be independent, have my own apartment, you know, be, be self-sustaining and sort of get into a very sexy career track. And journalism didn't pay as much. Public relations did. So I was lured over to the other side, as people in journalism would say. And you, mean you, you, you sold out. I sold out. I sold <laughs> yes. out shamelessly. And it was it was good for a long time. I worked at an ad agency. That was my first job. And then I went to a publishing house. And then I went to Avon the cosmetic company, the cosmetic giant. Sure. And at the time, I mean, they were really the, you know, the, 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 the top of the mountain in terms of a global company, extraordinarily successful, 100-year legacy. And I went to work on 57th Street and off of Fifth Avenue in New York. Mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was a dream come true. It was, I had an office that had a view of Central Park, imagine. And I couldn't believe it. I was hired to be the manager of public relations for Latin America. Mm -hmm. I was their ambassador, playing off of, the, of my cultural and linguistic abilities. I never knew when I was in college that my language, my, my fluency in Spanish would serve me so well. And I, I took the job. And when I realized that this was just an extraordinarily powerful job was when I was sent to... Uh, Latin America to do a tour on behalf of 
something mm-hmm. that was totally new, which was Avon Women's Running. At the time, Avon, through Catherine Switzer, the first woman to actually compete in the Boston Marathon, they were looking to establish a full fitness, wellness, beauty within and without uh, external and internal beauty for women. Obviously, that was a program that Avon was pioneering. And so I was sent as, as an ambassador to these countries to start the program and to, to start creating buzz and to basically talk it up so that there would be great interest and participation in coming out to the running events. So I find myself in Sao Paulo, Brazil. <laughs> I don't speak Portuguese, but I speak Portuñol, a little mix of both. And I'm brought onto a stage to actually deliver sort of the words of encouragement in terms of the corporate uh, rationale for why you should go out there and compete and 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 be this full expression of who you are and and do something that culturally at the time wasn't really accepted. I mean, it was taboo for women to be out there sweating, you know, and running on the streets. And so they were really going against the grain. So I get up on the, um, the, the, the stage of sorts in a huge park. And I was awestruck because in front of me, Ahim, were thousands of women, thousands of women eagerly awaiting what I had to say. Mm-hmm. It was an extraordinary moment. I was absolutely speechless, but... We had a PR agency, and I remember being being prodded, sort of elbowed to say, say something, say something. And I started speaking. I don't know what I said. <laughs> I don't know if I, recited, <laughs> if I recited the corporate messaging about why you need to get out there and, you know, and, and be healthy. But I know that they cheered and they clapped and they st- it was such an immense wave of of support and love that my voice was actually provoking that reaction in them. It was a moment when I said, darn, this is, this is a pretty good gig. I, I like this. <laughs> I, I would love to connect this experience, which is sounds extraordinary to me with what you just said a little earlier, which is that behind the scenes, you were looking to overcome some inner trauma that were, you were perhaps prone to depression. Yes. Um, so how do you reconcile that? You know, you're in this public role, but there are, there's some stuff going on inside of you. Can you give us a glimpse of how you, uh, how you worked with that, how you danced with that, how you overcame it, and maybe you didn't overcome it? Just, just where are you with that? Mm-hmm. Yes. I didn't realize what depression was uh, until really I was in my, in my twenties. I didn't know that there was a word for it. Mm. (laughs) No one had ever brought it up, but I grew up in a, in a household where my grandmother uh, who had uh, really severe psychological uh, imbalance, uh, extremely bipolar. But again, (laughs) back then and in my grandmother's generation, the the idea of mental illness was uh, was taboo, particularly in coming from Cuba in Latin America. In many countries still, uh, the topic is taboo. And she was she was very abusive. Uh, She was uh, really shaped this tremendously diminished sense of myself that took me a long time to overcome. 
So I withdrew inside. However, this other persona, this, this, this extreme introvert found, I found salvation in taking on a public role, in being the, the conduit for someone else to play, I guess, not, not that different from taking a part in a yeah, stage yeah. play. So I was a, 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 a puppet. I was a, an actor, an actor in someone else's play. And that gave me a lot of comfort because mm-hmm. it made me feel powerful, purposeful. I was getting uh, a really good, good feedback and compliments. I was being applauded for the way I was doing it. And I found that I was really comfortable playing that role where I wasn't comfortable was playing the role of me. And so it, I became highly immersed in my career so much so that I started to forget myself, but, but the, but the, the comfort I remember uh, by working very hard and traveling and doing all these public events and pushing myself through stammering to deliver those words and to hold a press conference and to and to prepare other executives for their public speaking and their uh, messaging, that gave me tremendous satisfaction. And you're describing, since I used to be an acting coach, the, the, the classic experience that actors have, which is you live this extravagant life on a movie set or on a stage and when you go home after the performance or when the lights are off, you know, you have to deal with yourself and your own life, which often isn't nearly as exciting. <laughs> and, uh, and if I may ask you just a follow-up on it, because I really understand how empowering it can be to be in a, in a public role that we inhabit well, but feelings of maybe perhaps low self-esteem or depression that's almost like a temporary band-aid, but it doesn't totally take care of it. Have you done any other exploration to, to move away from moments of depression? Is that possible? Uh, how, how over decades have you, um, I'm using the term, danced with that? Oh, well, the dance is, um, is a long one, and it is mm-hmm. really a, an easy one. And it depends on whether you want to go the route of, of uh, a clinical yeah, uh, yeah. psychiatry, mm-hmm. uh, whether you want to go the route of medication, whether you need that, who do you listen to? Uh, in, in truth, I, I did years and years and years of therapy, but it always brought me back to the same starting point. It was just a Band-Aid. It was just a way of dealing with the symptoms, not the underlying cause. And where I found that turning point, that, that, that door that opened was when I discovered my inner life, my spiritual center, when I started to identify with the God within, Mm -hmm. with, with my innate powers that connect me with the universe. Maybe I'm getting a little woo woo on you, but I think you understand. It was just taking a different, it was a different paradigm. It was not that there was something wrong with me, just that I hadn't connected to my source and I had drifted away from myself. And this was when I started to see it from that perspective that I said, huh, I've been missing out on this all these years. I've been medicated. I've gone to weekly or bi, you know, bi-weekly therapy sessions. And it seemed like at least I was on that treadmill 
but it really, I don't feel any better. I feel the same. It's just making believe that this is really helping. At least I have some coping skills, certainly, but it really didn't take care of the underlying pain. Well, you know, you can go woo-woo with me. (laughs) You use the phrase, I, I sort of connected with a God within, or I found the God within. I'm sure that many of our listeners have had that experience in their own way. How we do that is very personal. Can you give me a glimpse of what what that actually looks and feels like for you, Rosemary? Yes. There's no one particular wisdom school. There are so many wisdom schools. There are so many wisdom teachers. The... The person who actually unlocked the door for me is someone who is no longer with us, uh, Ramgiri Braun, mm-hmm. um, who studied under uh, Neem Karoli Baba in, uh, in India, master, master teacher. And he's the one who said to me in a, in, a, in a lecture, actually, is where I first was exposed to his teachings, is that depression comes from looking in the mirror and and, and having a different self-concept from what you're seeing in the mirror mm-hmm. so that you are actually dual personalities and you're saying, who is that person? That's not me. And that, that, that friction is what really brings on depression. At least in my case, that was the total, total sort of, 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 of a secret code to unlocking the pain that I was feeling. That what the, what, what the external part of me didn't match the internal. Yeah, that was such an extraordinarily important lesson for me to learn. And that then just opened the the cascading flow of of, of learning and and, uh, and and understanding how I could go deeper into that path. And in the spirit of great fourth acts. I have a sense that if we have a relationship to our God within. We're going to create a more expansive fourth act. You know, because we are connected, use the word the source as well. We're connected to the source and it comes from a different sort of place. I I love to talk about how you launched your business and it's an audacious thing to do for anybody, but something else that struck me that's an extraordinary experience with you, you know, you your last big corporate role was you were a VP of public relations at Univision. And you got hired into that role when you were already in your 60s. That is highly unusual. And uh, any thoughts on that? Anything around that that you want to share with us that might be enlightening to other fourth actors who are in their early 60s and are thinking, is there another big corporate role for me? Or should I just hang it up because they don't hire somebody old like me? I don't get me on that bandwagon. I believe (laughs) I believe that it is uh, an immense disfavor, not only to the individuals, but to the whole vitality of business to 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 take someone of a certain age and say, "Okay, you go out to pasture. You know, we don't want you anymore. Your your skills, your 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 decades of knowledge are no, no longer valued. That is, in a, as a society, something we need to break 
break apart because there is, and you turned me on to Chip Conley's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I very much love the, the term he uses, wisdom workers, wisdom yeah, workers, okay. bring all of that savvy uh, and, and emotional intelligence into the workplace. And the idea of mentoring younger people is to me fascinating. So at 62, I was hired to, for a very important, very complex role in, in, at the, the world's largest Spanish language media company. And at the time, I almost couldn't believe it because I, they knew my age and obviously I knew my age, but mm-hmm. they, needed, they needed my skills. They needed my wisdom to manage a, a complex set of issues and a team that was not quite cohesive. They wanted someone to really bring order and to establish a sense of, of real productivity and purpose to that team mm-hmm. to, to elevate the, the public relations function for the entertainment division. And I was was delighted with the with the challenge. I thought it was probably, you know, having worked at A&E Television, Discovery Channel, at Telemundo early in my career, you, you forgot when you did my bio, there's like a whole alphabet of other companies. <laughs> and it was a thrill. It was like, okay, let's 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 go into this with zest and with uh, excitement. This is going to be a a, a, a bumpy ride. There's going to be you know, working limitless hours and a lot of personal investment because it's it's a very a personality driven kind of business in terms of mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there's, there's a great deal of bonding that has to take place and you really need to immerse yourself in that culture. But I loved it. I did it for two years and it came to the point where I knew it was time to step out because after a while, it just really say, okay, so why am I doing this? And what am I getting back from this? And okay, so I had my moment and it was wonderful. And for that, I'm very grateful, but I meant to do something more. It's a beautiful segue to your new business. I do have a, a, a question that's percolating because you and I are exactly the same age, born the same year. And I think this is a tougher dance for women than for men. Uh, and you you said they hired me at 62, but the pressure often is, yeah, she's 62, but she doesn't look that old. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That whole dance. Yes. Uh, God forbid you, you look old, uh, quotation marks. Uh, so there, there's age, the perception of age, there's all of that stuff. Any thoughts on that? I know you're passionate about this topic, but any thoughts around you, I love that you you quoted Chip Conley, who'll be a guest on the podcast in a few weeks. But any perception around that that dance of well, yes, we're in our sixties, but we we don't come across that old. Most people who know me uh, and those with whom I had the confidence to actually state my age mm-hmm. would say almost uh, unanimously. But you don't look your age. You have so much, you have so much energy. That's you have right. so much energy. You look like you're in your early 50s. And that's fine because I don't feel 66. I don't feel it. I think that there is, to me, no, uh, fortunately, thankfully, I'm very healthy. Uh, a few minor little things, but nothing, nothing. I've never had uh, any over overwhelming health issues. So I've got all this energy to give. I love working hard. I love pushing them my limits. And it's, it's more than, you know, it's more than the energy. I, I believe, Akeem, it's the curiosity. 
Mm-hmm. It's being engaged. It's really having mm-hmm. a deep interest in learning and exploring and trying this and trying that and, and, and not taking anything for granted, not working with platitudes, not using old formulas to yes, solve yeah. new problems, really being open-minded. And what I found particularly useful in this last role, uh, uh, staff role, was inviting other opinions, really having a collaborative, building a collaborative team where all the opinions were welcomed. Yeah. So your business, and I, I applaud you for when, when we look for you, it just says Rosemary Ravenel. It's easy to hide behind a brand name, but you are the brand, right? You're a history of experience. Your wisdom is the brand. And it is a, what I would call an adjacent move in the sense that you are known as a public relations professional, but the service you're pursuing, which I assume is the service that you want to give because you're passionate about it, is really helping people to pay attention to their presentation skills, their executive presence, how they show up on Zoom, which is related to what you did before, but a little bit of a jump. And I have a hunch it took some courage to make that jump. Can you just just walk us through what was your inner journey around, like, do I do this? Am I ready to do this? Can I do this? Yes. For the for my entire career, I have loved the idea of, of, of public speaking. Obviously, I spent so much time in speech therapy that I developed a very, uh, very strong appreciation for the importance of correct speech for mm-hmm. Not only for the proper use of language, but for vocal quality and all the how to use our our our, our vocal tools effectively. And I had the opportunity to do media. In fact, it was when I did media, when I did local television early on, cable TV, radio, when I was in college, when that microphone was in front of me, I suddenly found that I could control my stammer because it was. It's on. This is it. There's no second chance. I have to do it correctly. And it was a wonderful way to, to, to soothe my nerves and to help me enunciate better. But to get back to your question, so when I did the public speaking, similarly mm-hmm. is when, when I had the extraordinary opportunity to be an on-air contributor for MSNBC, being mm-hmm. live, being doing live television where there's absolutely no second chance to do it. Uh, you have to do it perfectly the first time. It was so empowering. I said, Dime, I can do this. This is, this is like, I really arrived. It was a real moment of triumph for me. And then from there, I said, I can do anything. I've done this. I mean, this is the, probably the, the, <laughs> the most high-risk engagement I will have. And But all along in my career, I've enjoyed helping other people prepare for the stage. Yeah, and I yeah. had collected uh, books and articles, all kinds of resources where I found that there was so much satisfaction in seeing someone improve with my coaching, with my guidance, and particularly people whose first language is not English or vice versa with Spanish. And that always came, I always came back to that as, darn, I'm looking at my bookshelf, I have so many resources. This is something that I think the world needs. And so when I decided to go off on my own, that was my business plan, to be the public speaking coach to CEOs working actively in Latin America. 
obviously last year, 2020, the world changed. So I moved my curriculum to the virtual stage in the sense that I found that people were lacking skills, not only in public speaking, but interacting with the technology and with this new space that we occupy in order to come across with authority, right, with, um, with, uh, with strong impact and confidence. I, I'm putting myself in your shoes as somebody who's started multiple businesses. And I was struck when we started this conversation, you, you said, you know, I, I was a lonely little girl and it can be pretty lonely to start a business. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not part of a collaborative team necessarily, unless you hire consultants to help you. You know, there are moments when you're alone in your home, which is usually where we start. We don't go to an office how did you handle that inner part of launching a business when you don't have guaranteed clients, where there may be doubts where you go, can I do this? Perhaps, who am I fooling? I'm too old to do this. Whatever stories can pop in, in the loneliness of launching a business, anything that you want to share with us about that? It. I think about it every day. <laughs> it doesn't really just go away. Yeah. There is a moment of tiredness when yeah. something doesn't go as I intended, when a prospect says no. Yeah. That's when I say, ah, yes, maybe I should listen to those people who use the R word, which I despise, retired. <laughs> and Maybe I should listen. Maybe I should just go out to my my backyard and do gardening. No, <laughs> because a few minutes after I start doing this rumination, this self-talk, someone will send me an email or I'll get a, a call and someone will want to talk to me about my work, how I can help them. And so it's really a dance that, uh, you know, that, that happens every day with myself. And it's the, the sense of belief that I know I have something special. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know full well that it's there's many people perhaps who do what I do, but when people hire you or me, they're hiring you for That's the right. full person, the full package of attributes. And that trust is based on, on that compatibility. And that's where it starts. So I feel blessed that I have a strong core where I know where my particular unique qualities are and what I provide to clients. But to go back to your question, that voice of doubt, <laughs> that uh, negative Nelly shows up every day. Because it takes confidence to launch a business. It just does. And doubt is part of it. And my hunch is that your confidence has grown as you've been, you know, you've been booking some really nice clients. Um, talk a little bit about, you talked about the phone call that comes that makes you feel good. <laughs> and there's a phone call where somebody says, no, this is not the right time. Um, how do you do the dance between external approval, external validation, or external rejection, and building a portfolio of clients where you go, I must be doing something right. They do keep hiring me. How, how is your confidence growing as you're venturing forth in this business? 
The confidence comes from waking up every day with a new idea. I create a weekly email, as Mm -hmm. you do, and I create a biweekly blog. And that commitment to myself and to the people who read them and to my clients and to prospects who I know are within that database who receive my communications, I owe them something interesting. Mm-hmm. I owe them information that will improve their lives, improve their workday, improve their team building, their interactions, will make them feel just a little better the next time they turn on their webcams. So that that keeps me going because I love to create content. I love to learn something every day. Like yesterday, I learned that holograms may be coming to a co-working center near you. What a fabulous idea. And it's something that is actually slated to happen by fall of 2021. What an interesting concept. How can I work around that? How can I create some learnings that will help people step up to that very strong possibility? And so there's always something new. And I love the exploration of new ideas. And then bringing into my work concepts from other fields and other disciplines, for example. Color theory, color psychology. How does the color that you wear, color that you use to to stage and style your background, what does that say about you? And and all these things that I I think are really important to this whole uh, mosaic of, of communication, human communication. So that keeps me going. There's always something interesting to learn. And I like drawing from those sources and crafting something. So I keep my motor going. And I think that that's how that's what's working for me right now in terms of drawing people into my orbit is people who read my content and think that I have something unique to offer. Part of this act that we're in, as you already said earlier, is that we have have the courage to bring all of us to the table and people hire us, not just for the skills, but for in your case, what I just heard, incredible curiosity, urge to drive, urge to engage, urge to communicate. Um, based on what you know now, Rosemary, if you if you had a chance to, to whisper in young Rosemary's ears <laughs> uh, and give her some, some wisdom, guidance, or words of hope, what would you want to say to her? just love yourself, that nothing changes, nothing will change until you learn to love yourself. And that is something that takes a lifetime to learn. And so many of us never really learn it. And look, I've been married three times and (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'll be I, I, I don't know why I laugh, but it made me laugh. I, I keep my options open. <laughs> but except for my first marriage, they gave me a beautiful, extraordinary daughter. Mm-hmm. Now a, a woman and a great mother and a great uh, professional. Uh, she's a, a, a clinical therapist. And that's been the biggest gift in my life. However, I know that those relationships didn't work for me because I wasn't in touch with who I am. I wasn't yeah, loving yeah. myself. I was playing a role. And it, it took a long time and a lot of suffering to get to that 
conclusion or to that understanding that that's where everything emanates from. So the sense of self-esteem, depression, the stammer, all of that really comes from a, 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 a despair for not knowing what, what, what stone you're standing on. You're, 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 you're floating and there's this, 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 this sort of moving terrain. You don't know where you stand. And when you finally find your rock, that's really where it starts. And what I heard from you is you mentioned Ram Giri Brown, who was a teacher who said the things that you needed to hear at the time that opened the door. Uh, if you had to give some, share some wisdom with, with any listener who might be at the similar stage in life, you know, very successful career like you, uh, curious, still wants to do stuff, has an idea that, gosh, maybe I could start my own business. Maybe I don't have to retire yet. Uh, I have a whole other fourth act in me. Based on your experience of launching a business a couple of years ago now, um, what words would you, would you say to that listener? That you never finished. You never finished. You talk about acts. I think, Akeem, that I am actually, if we were to go numerically, I'm in my first act. This right. is really the time, you know, forget about all of the achievements that I had as a public relations professional. I'm grateful for those. But that wasn't me. Yeah. That was, I was playing a role for someone else. So this, in essence, if we want to start from act one, this is my first act. This is where I'm doing things for my own delight and for my own sense of purpose that I am giving of myself and I am being relevant to others in a way that will help them be better people. And that's very simplistic, but it is simple. At the end of the day, it really doesn't have to be complicated, but you have to have the courage to make that leap, you know, to be a little bit uh, unmoored, right, to, to go into the unknown to have a little bit of courage financially, you know, to say, well, I'm making just a fraction of what I was making before, but it doesn't matter. Well, how much do I really need to be comfortable? And to really make those, those judgments of, of balance of, of what's important. But I would say the most, the most important thing is to know you're never finished. And that, you know, you're, you're, there's, 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 as long as you have desire, uh, you, can, you can start anew, you can rewire, you can reinvent. And it's just a matter of having the, the, the right attitude and surrounding yourself with people who support you. I mean, don't, I don't, I don't like to honestly, and, and you're going to think that this is a little bit um, uh, just a uh, elitist of me, but I don't like to hang out with people my age. <laughs> I don't like to hang out with, with people who think old right? Who think they're chronological years. I don't, I like to hang out with people who are much younger, you know, to, who like to do wild and crazy things and to like to do, to be adventurous and explore things and to, you know, to do things that are uh, off the beaten path. Those are, that's where I find my, my greatest inspiration. So surround yourself with people who energize you and who really value you for what you are. And you know, and be patient, you know, when you're rewiring and reinventing, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you may be competing with people who've been doing this for a very long time. 
And so you're the newbie. And it's, you know, it after so many years of establishing yourself in one line of, of work, to be a newbie is not comfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's just accepted, you are. And and sometimes fresh ideas have more of, of a fertile ground to grow than people who've been doing it for a long time. Well, and, and the gift of Rosemary Ravenel is that you may be a newbie in one space, but that newbie brings 30 some years of expertise in a related field. And that's the beauty of being, if we're going to quote Chip Conley again, a wisdom worker, even as we do something new, that wisdom is an underpinning that just oozes out of us and hopefully in helpful ways and not hurtful ways, right? Final question. If you think of your own future, and this presumptuous is me to think that you do, is maybe you don't, or the future of your friendships, the future of the planet. When you hear the word future, what comes to mind for you? It, every day is a treasure, and we can't waste time. Be very aware of how you spend your time. And you know, be very economical with it. Give, mm-hmm. certainly give your time to others and, and giving without remuneration is important. Volunteer works being of, of mm-hmm. service, very important. When I think of the future, I think of my grandchildren. I think mm-hmm. of uh, Vega and Morrison, you know, uh, age four and seven. And they are the future. And my, my commitment to them is to leave them a better planet and to be a... A, a wisdom teacher for them to be a role model, to be someone who is there with total unconditional love and support for their for their highest and, and best, and to, to leave the world better than, than when they were born. And that's my pledge to them. And that's where I see the future. You know, whatever I have left, I want to spend living in purpose and in joy. And in the present moment, you know, with a sense of, of of being grounded, and to try to continue to slay those those demons that that still and maybe will always mm-hmm. be present, but to be very aware of my responsibility to others. And I can't think of a better place to have responsibility than with my family. Beautiful words to end on. Since you are a treasure trove of both skills and wisdom, and our listeners may go, gosh, how do I find out more, find out more about Rosemary Ravenel? Where, where would you like to send them? My website is my name, rosemaryravenel.com. And that's, I'm going to be putting a lot more content uh, in, in the uh, Indus pages and to just start doing a lot more blogging. And maybe I'll even venture off into some related areas of, of self-development and uh, uh, exploration. But that's my website. And of course, uh, use the same handles for my social. And I will hopefully uh, continue to generate great ideas and to be of, of service to other people. But that's that's where you can find me and connect with me. There's a place to to follow me and to receive my weekly newsletter as well. And I urge you all to sign up. I, I receive that that weekly message. And Rosemary, you're especially focusing on on being compelling in in a virtual environment, which is important for all of us. And your tips are so 
practical and instantly applied. And uh, I urge you all to sign up and receive those messages. Thank you for this delicious conversation, Rosemary. Thank you for this beautiful opportunity, Ahim. I love your podcast and uh, I can't wait for the next one. Bye for now. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.